Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Holy crap, I'm about to fly across the world and drive a Zamboni at the Olympics. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I'm your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. You know, but like as we tape, uh, normally we tape on Wednesdays or after a weekend, but we are actually taping on a Friday night. So it's like we've, we haven't, it's been a couple of days. I know. <laughs> you no, know, it hasn't been a week. It's been just a couple of days. <laughs> I know. I I have nothing new to tell you. <laughs> but we do have a great conversation today that we're both really excited about. We spoke with Adam Stern, who is the lead ice maker at the University of Minnesota, and he also works with the St. Paul NHL team, the Minnesota Wild. He got the call to drive the Zamboni at the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, and he recently spoke with us to explain what ice technicians do and what the Olympics was like. Take a listen. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. And this is really exciting because people may not understand how much work goes into making good ice for sports. And right. so, so how did you get into becoming an ice technician? Uh, originally, it just started as a college job at Ferris State University. I needed just, you know, some extra money. So I got a part-time job just working at the, the ice arena there. And they taught me how to drive the Zamboni and, you know, general maintenance of the building and stuff like that. And it kind of just started out as part-time. And then I just loved being there and school ended it. It was a student job. So you had to be a student. So I was pretty uh, disappointed. I wasn't able to work there anymore. And you know, I really didn't have any plans of going back to work at an ice arena, but that's kind of just how it worked out, just by knowing people and they needed help. So uh, I was contacted about a job in Wisconsin, and I just said, let's do it, and moved to Wisconsin to work at a random entertainment venue, you'd say, and uh, kind of just fell in love with it from there because I did a lot of my own teaching and you know learning on the job 
being solo. So I just loved it from there out and, you know, decided to make it a career. So what's it like to drive the Zamboni for the first time? Is there like a learning curve when, like when you drive a car? There's a massive, massive learning curve. Um, It's definitely like nothing you've driven before. There's a lot of blind spots. Um, It's a lot of feel with the machine um, because they're driven kind of like a tractor through hydraulic systems. So, you know, there's just a lot of levers and stuff you have no idea about. So it just takes takes confidence, self-confidence, and just being able to go out there and, you know, figure it out. It's either you want to figure it out or you buckle under the pressure and you'll start missing spots and, you know, making bad ice. And then you really think the people are watching you. So, um, you know, you just got to tune out the people in the crowd and go to work, you know, just drive. Have you ever crashed the Zamboni? Um, nothing major. I have bumped the boards before, but no, no crashes. Um, I have had a few of my current workers crash before, but, um, <laughs> nothing terrible. Just a few, uh, little bent parts, but little, little fender benders on the ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not a cheap machine. So, you know, it's kind of uh, tough to take when they tell you they smashed it into something. Oh, what does, what does a Zamboni run? Cost-wise. Um, well, there's e- there's either propane Zambonis or electric Zambonis. So they can range from anywhere from, you know, eighty dollars to $120,000, somewhere in there. Wow. So they are quite expensive. Um, they're not like a dealership or anything. So it's more of an order what you want on it. And then they hand build it from there. Wow. What's the, what's the, difference between like the propane and the electric do you feel a difference when you operate it or Uh, definitely you definitely feel the difference um it's just a completely different feel of the pedal and how the whole thing operates an electric zamboni will continue to roll after you let go of the pedal where a propane zamboni will stop on a dime as soon as you let go of the pedal so it's a lot of feeling out process and just you know control driving on a wet slippery surface is you know, something you just have to feel out. That's, you know, okay, so now I know people like the Zamboni and they know what the Zamboni is, but we need to take a couple of steps back and talk about what makes good ice and what goes into what you do. And and let's separate it. Then we have to get into ice for different sports. So, well, definitely what makes good ice is just the whole environment of your building, humidity, dew point, you know, temperature, air temperature, uh, ice surface temperature, what's underneath the ice, the temperature of all that, that stuff all just combines together. And what you're really looking for is a hard piece of ice that when the players are turning, they're not breaking into the ice with their sharp blades on their skates. They need to be riding on the top. You want it hard and fast for, for the hockey players. So, So I deal mainly with hockey here at the University of Minnesota and with the Minnesota Wild. So we do get a lot of critiquing and it has to be top notch. Otherwise you hear about it. So, you know, we've kind of got it down to a science. But like I said, with every building, every location where you have a team or whatever is going to be different because, you know, Arizona weather to Minnesota weather. We can easily make ice here in Minnesota where in Arizona it takes a lot more building functionality to remove humidity and 
get things proper. So for an NHL game, it's got to be, I believe, roughly around 60 degrees, the building temperature. And then the slab temperature is about 17 degrees, which makes the ice about 21 degrees. So like I said, there's just a lot of things that can go into making ice good and bad, and it can change very quickly. You know, the more people you add into a building, the more heat comes off of those bodies and they, that comes into the building and it'll affect everything there. So then do you, when, when you're going to prep the ice, do you get like ticket sales to know how many people are going to be in the building so you can kind of adjust ahead of time? Not necessarily. Um, majority of the time we anticipate, you know, full capacity of the building. So, so we've kind of got it down to a science, you know, we might in the springtime, we might run something a little bit colder just because, you know, of the outside air or humidity, but ticket sales, I wouldn't say makes a big factor. A lot of the times it might even just be, you know, going on the fly because we're constantly checking during games and prior to games. And if something's not right, we'll try to make an adjustment to correct us back to the right temperatures and whatnot. So what kind of things can you adjust mid-game? Um, like the slab, what cools the, you know, the ice. Um, we can turn that down. We can even make it a little bit warmer. If, it's, if, it's too, if the ice becomes too cold, it becomes brittle, um, very crunchy. So like I said, the players want to ride on top of the ice. If it's too cold, it becomes, you know, weak. So when they turn, their skates bust down into the ice will make big grooves and whatnot. So, um, you know, it definitely takes you just a feeling out process of your players and your building and trying to, you know, I can, I've seen so many different types of ice. I can listen to the players skate and turn and actually, you know, just hear the sound of them out there and make an assessment on, on if things are, you know, going right or not. He's the ice whisperer. Another massive. <laughs> what's that? I said, you're the ice whisperer. Yeah, kind of. Um, you know, it's just, you hang around in an ice arena, a competitive ice arena all day long. And, you know, you can tell the difference of, you know, older, stronger players skating compared to like little kids and, you know, just really digging into the ice. So if the ice is too cold, you get those grooves. What happens if it's too warm? Uh, the, it becomes soft, so the puck will bounce. It won't stay flat on the ice. The puck won't become cold enough. So when the players go to make a pass, it'll, you know, it might bounce off their stick or bounce before it gets to their stick. Or, you know, you want the puck to try to be on the ice as much as possible. But when it becomes a certain temperature, you know, it'll just, the puck becomes more of a rubberized, you know, and it'll want to bounce a little bit rather than just staying hard and staying right on the ice surface. So you you definitely will notice, the players can notice, they don't feel as fast. They won't be like riding quite as on top of the ice, I guess you'd say, you know, because their skates aren't digging in so much to the ice or sinking in. You know, so if it's hard and fast, they're going to be able to stay on top and really maximize their, their speed where if it's soft and slower, they're going to feel that and it's going to kind of feel like they're weighted down a little bit. Okay, so figure skating ice as opposed to hockey ice, I'm guessing that you want it. That is a little it, bit warmer. I was just going to say, I think you'd want it softer so you can edge. 
Yes, they do have it a little bit warmer. Um, it's a little bit thicker as well. Now, I'm not any expert on figures, competitive figure skating ice. So I've, I've witnessed people working it at the Olympics and I've helped out with the figure skating championships, but it takes, you know, someone at that high of a level to, they need to be in that environment quite a bit, you know, cause they're honestly figure skaters are way pickier than hockey players about ice conditions. Don't know why that is, but that's just kind of what I've noticed over the years. So you you mentioned thickness. How thick is hockey ice maybe versus figure skating ice? We we currently run about an inch and a quarter of ice over the cement uh, here in Minnesota. So it's really not that thick. So that's why another reason why you need to have quality ice. So when they turn, they aren't busting down into the ice a little bit. And next thing you know, they're touching the cement because that can lead to some serious injuries as well as equipment malfunctions and stuff like that. So, you know, there is that safety concern of too thin of ice. You know, you need to have a quality sheet of ice. I believe figure skating ice is a little bit thicker. You know, they do do some high jumping and really sharp toe picks with their skates. So it will bust out little chunks of ice or, you know, they go a little bit deeper. So you need to have that insurance and security for them so they don't get injured. One thing a lot of people don't know with this ice is when we put it down, put the water down, the water is about 160 degrees. So we're putting super hot water onto this ice. And the reason that is is because there's less oxygen in hot water. So with that less oxygen, there's going to be less air trapped inside the ice. So you're going to have yourself a hollow or not hollow, but just a solid piece of water, you know, without oxygen inside. So the players aren't, you know, again, breaking down in there, creating snow and, you know, air pockets inside the ice. So it's just going to be, it's just going to be solid for them. So you can really tell a difference if you throw cold water out repeatedly on making ice with the Zamboni compared to hot water. It can turn really snowy and, you know, brittle, like I said, cold. So you really want to put the heat back into the ice to warm it up. So that's why we always use hot water. So if you hit an air, like if the the ice is breaking down while you're playing and you hit an air bubble, do you just like feel more of a, like a, is it kind of like a pothole? Uh, No, I wouldn't say there's like in a bubble, you know, like there's minuscule amounts of air that are in the ice, but you know, that you can't see, but it's in there, you know, like, so there's air trapped inside the ice and it just makes, makes more snow and a little bit brittle, you know, of a surface. So when you put in that hot water, you know, it still freezes pretty well at the same temperature. It just, you know, freezes as a better quality piece of ice. So there's multiple, multiple layers, you know, built up into this inch and a quarter and it just becomes a really solid piece of ice. Okay, so the water that you're using, where is that coming from in terms of, uh, I, be- it, it, I, I assume it's not water- just ordinary tap water. No, it is. Oh, it's it definitely is? Definitely tap. Yeah, it just comes right out of, I believe we get our water from the Mississippi River. So that's, you know, a lot of the times it depends on your quality of water where you may need to have a system that removes stuff, you know, to make it more pure but when you get too pure of water the water 
does become brittle again, like I said. So you do want some of that natural, those natural elements inside of your water to help hold it together. When we originally put in a piece of ice and we warm it up and go out there with the Zamboni the first time, we'll actually shave off what looks like yellow snow, but it's just the the minerals and stuff that are inside of the water that have floated to the top. So then that's just getting scraped out with the Zamboni. So in different arenas, you have to make different adjustments based on their water supply. Um, I guess you'd say that you'd, you'd definitely already know, you know, what was going on with the building. It's not like you're just all of a sudden getting new water. You can have it tested and then work from there. And then they do make products that, you know, purify your water and make it better. But, you know, like I said, you do want some of those elements, those natural elements in there to help it hold it together. And then the Zamboni goes around when you, when you're in an intermission in hockey and you see mm-hmm. the Zamboni driver, they are putting down, are they scraping and laying yeah, down new water? Essentially, there's a huge razor blade underneath the machine that we change out probably once a week, put a new sharp blade on. That's actually scraping the surface of the ice, taking it down, you know, maybe like one thirty second of an inch or something like that at a time. Um, So you're really not scraping a ton, but there's also a lot of snow that builds up on the surface of the ice from the players stopping and turning and whatnot. So it's picking up that snow and it's shaving the ice, putting all that waste ice in the back into the Zamboni, into the dump box, and then laying out new 160 degree water behind it that replaces what you shaved off. So it's, it's quite the machine if you really get in there and look at it and it's actually washing the ice while you're out there picking up lint and hair and you know any sort of particle that was on top of the surface teeth (laughs) yeah well i've i've helped pick teeth up before and it's definitely uh they're definitely a lot bigger than i thought they would be (laughs) but uh You know, I've looked at a piece of ice so long now that I can, you know, pick out just rare things that are, you know, a screw fell out of someone's house or helmet or a tooth fell out. And that's how I actually found it is the guy asked me to come help him look and I picked it right up. I didn't pick it up, but I picked it up. Wow. And then like when the holes are so deep, they have to come out with a bucket of stuff and fill in the holes. Mm -hmm. What what is that? Uh, That's just water and snow you know, slush. So we'll take that out. You know, hopefully that ever doesn't happen. That's not a good thing when you have to come out there and patch holes in your ice, especially during gameplay, because that could mean a bunch of different things. You know, the ice could be too cold or you could have had just a bad bond in that spot originally when you put the ice in. So there's just a lot of things why that could happen. So you definitely don't want to see it. But it's essentially it's just slush and water, you know, water and snow making the slush. And then sometimes we'll use like gum remover and freeze that with the gum remover. So it'll instantly freeze and make it hard. But it's not a good way to, you know, you don't want to just go out there and throw slush and snow and stuff and then freeze it. You know, if you're making a piece of ice, it needs to be layer by layer, you know, stuff like that, rather than just filling it in and letting it freeze. 
And how long does it take to make a hockey rink? Uh, to make a rink? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it all just depends on the person. Um, you know, how much water they put down at a time when they're building it up or you know, how we do it here is we just take out a huge hose and, you know, we just start at one end and work our way, you know, at a pretty good pace. And just by the time it's, by the time you get done with the one end, it's usually frozen at the other and you can go back out and start over. I couldn't give you a rough, I couldn't give you an exact amount of water that it would take to make, you know, a sheet of ice. But I know when, when we paint it, it takes about eight hours paint the ice surface and then we just build up from there over the next like two days with a hose and get it to an inch and a quarter inch and a half and then get the players out there to skate on it and break it in and stuff like that because when you make an original brand new sheet of ice it's going to be very new and pure and it just when the players go out there it's not usually the best the first couple times they need to skate it in break it in with their skates and then it becomes harder and more of what they're looking for. So the hockey players are not fans when they do those, like the Christmas Day game in the arena, where they just throw down an ice rink very quickly. Right. Especially even with, like, changeovers. You know, we go from a game to a concert to a game to a basketball game to a hockey game. You know, so they're constantly changing the ice over, putting it a part of, like, a boarding on top and, Essentially, it's like a cooler, so the hockey ice just sits underneath the basketball floor, underneath the concert. So it's trapped in there, and then they remove it. And, um, you know, the player, like last night, I worked the Minnesota Wild-Montreal Canadiens game, and they had the Disney on ice the prior week. So leading up to our game last night, so the, the ice hadn't been used. We had extra ice on top of the hockey ice. So once we got back down into the hockey, you know, we had the game last night and after the first period, the ref made a little comment, you know, just about it being a little bit snowy, which we all noticed as well. And so we made a quick adjustment with how much water we actually put down during the intermission. And it seemed to help out quite a bit as the game went on. So the players were skating that ice in and we just, you know, like I said, it was getting used. So, became more of what they're accustomed to. Like that fresh ice just isn't, they aren't big fans of that. So interesting. I know. I'm so overwhelmed. (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Like those outdoor games are even crazier just because of the outdoor elements with the sun and the wind and the, you know, just putting it in those huge stadiums. They might be good for TV and for, you know, people to watch, but, realistically the players aren't huge fans of those outdoor games just because the ice isn't the greatest it's still very good but it's just not the same as inside of an nhl building so interesting okay so how how did you get to what was your road to the olympics well it was you know like i said me originally starting at ferris state and then moving to wisconsin working in green bay and then i eventually just applied for an operations job here at the University of Minnesota at their ice arenas and was lucky enough to get hired. And next thing you know, I'm working here for about a month and 
the guy who runs the ice for the Minnesota Wild, he called and was like, hey, are you interested in picking up a job here as well? And obviously that was a no-brainer. So, you know, instantly I'm thrown into Minnesota Gopher Hockey and the Minnesota Wild, so things became pretty real and pretty big fast for me. So just throughout my couple of years here, meeting some people, um, I actually met Don Moffitt, who was in charge of all the hockey ice at the Olympics. And he was originally planning to not have any North American help with with the ice. He was just going to work with him and the Koreans. But there was just a huge barrier there with their knowledge of ice and especially with competitive ice uh, Korea is not a hockey country so he convinced the Olympic Committee to let him get some help you know it's that big of a stage he needs he needs help so um, it was kind of last minute it was almost I'd say end of August maybe September when he called and I was thought it was a joke I guess at first because it's something you'd think about but you're like no you you know working in the Olympics no way that would never happen you know so you know once it became true it was you know like holy crap I'm about to fly across the world and drive a Zamboni at the Olympics so I luckily enough got to go with two other guys that I work with at the Minnesota Wild and flew across to South Korea and Next thing you know, I'm in the Olympic Village, and it was so crazy to be so up close and behind the scenes and just to be able to see all that, you know, almost very surreal. Now, uh, I was just going to say, the hockey tournament pretty much spans the entire games. Yeah, we were there for 24 days, so it was quite the time away. And pretty intense, I would assume. Um, yeah, we, we got to work with some awesome people, though, from all over the United States, a couple from Canada. Um, we even got to work with some guys from Japan who knew their hockey hockey ice. So it was great to just be able to have other people that you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to feel like you needed to do everything, you know, because everyone else was very knowledgeable. So it wasn't quite the stress. Even Don, when we got there, he was just overwhelmed with us being there just because he was pretty much it and then brought in all of his crew to take some weight off his shoulders and you know we kind of just got right to work and you know got the ice prepped and a few days later we were doing our first game and next thing you know it's the olympic gold game and went by fast and i hope to be a part of it again in china in a few years did you ever have did you have a chance to feel the enormity of being there or were you just too busy? No, I definitely we had we were fortunate enough to have some decent time off during the day. I worked more in the evening and night hours so I could go out during the day and experience the city and experience the Olympic venues and whatnot. I didn't attend too many events. Um, it was rather pricey to go to some of these events and stuff like that. So, you know, I toured the city and got to see, you know, Korea and their cultures. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'll remember the most is just being able to see how they interact with each other and, you know, go about their lives and 
it was very cool. I never thought I'd go to Korea, and next thing you know, I'm experiencing the Olympic stage. So what were your days like? If you worked, did they have different, like a day crew and then an evening crew? Yep, exactly. Um, the day crew more or less would, you know, do stuff with practices, team practices, because majority of the games were in the evening at night. So they'd do a lot of the team practices and stuff and, you know, get stuff prepped and retying hockey nets or, you know, just getting the machines ready for the games. And then we'd come in and, you know, stick around and drive the Zamboni for the games and keep an eye on the compressors and the ice temperatures. And and then after the games, we'd have to do maintenance, you know, because when we're out there, we're, we're shaving ice off at a pretty good, you know, pretty good amount. So, you know, we can lose depth of our ice pretty quickly, especially if we go into overtimes or whatnot. So, you know, we'd have to spend night hours there putting water back down just to get it back to that inch and a quarter and get it safe for the players the next day. I know we received great reviews from pretty much everyone there about the, about the ice conditions. So, you know, we were very happy with how things went and it seemed like they were very happy. Um, I know Don Moffitt is planning on, or he's scheduled to run the Olympics in China as well. So, we're hoping, you know, we all impressed him enough to get the invite back. Is there any difference between men's hockey ice and women's hockey ice? No, it's uh, it's pretty much the same. There's nothing that would require any changes for that. Who who beats up the ice more, the men or the women? Uh, definitely the men. You know, they're, you know, probably stronger in the leg area, harder skating I guess you'd say more power um, so you definitely notice the difference between a women's game and a men's game the quality of the ice after the period or even after the game how much snow you take off and stuff like that the men just leave the bigger mess you know the women yeah. are thinking no ahead question. <laughs> no question. we have a we have a men's and a women's arena here at the university and when the men's team goes over and skates at the women's arena the uh, women are not too happy about that because they have to skate after. So it takes me a little bit longer to get the ice back in the condition that they want. And sometimes there's a little bit of a time time crunch, so we can't get it exactly perfect. So when the girls see the guys over on their ice, they're usually rolling their eyes or, you know, asking what they're doing over there. Were there any big disasters with the ice at Pyeongchang? Nothing. No, things went so great. It was great to hear, great to see. Like I said, we got great, great reviews. So I can't say that, you know, there was different venues for speed skating and figure skating. So I can't say for them, but I didn't hear anything on their end either, other than they worked a lot more than we did. So (laughs) we, uh, we kind of lucked out there. Is there a hierarchy? Like, do the figure skating Zamboni people make fun of you or vice versa? No. Um, No, definitely not. You know, we're all in the same boat and, you know, working in a cold environment, but we're still working in athletics and doing what we like. And you got to really like the ice arena industry to be able to stand around in a 50 degree building all day in the winter and work on ice. And it takes a special person to be cold all the time. 
But you're in Minnesota. <laughs> I know. I can't get. I wear a winter hat sometimes in the summer, and it's super depressing. <laughs> so it was really, really cold in in Pyeongchang during the games. Did that make your life more difficult? No, not really. Um, it was a very, you know, the building was great. It was a pretty controlled environment. We didn't have to do anything with HVAC or, you know, air temperatures. We could make suggestions if we were having problems, but, you know, there was different engineers and stuff that worked, did that stuff. But, the, you know, just because it was super cold outside, that the only thing that did is just remove, remove the humidity in the air and made it better to make make ice. When you're working, is it hard to not get wrapped up in a game? Because they had some exciting games. They did have some exciting, especially the women's gold game. That is something I will remember forever. Like just the chills of that whole event, you know, I'll remember forever. So, you know, I was probably pretty, pretty caught up in that one, you'd say. But a lot of the times I'm here so much and doing things I really don't like pay attention quite a bit you know like what i'm what i'm saying is i'm more or less looking for the end of the game <laughs> i've been here all day you know i don't get in i do get into it but we're we're in the back working as well we're more just waiting for our services if something goes wrong but more or less just don't go to overtime and get this thing over with <laughs> So, so yeah, the gold, the gold medal game went to a shootout. So it did. When, when um, you have that, like, do you get any time between the end of overtime and the shootout to take a look at the surface at all? Um, I didn't drive for the women's gold game. I did the men's gold game, so I was more or less standing there chewing my fingernails off the whole time just being nervous. I know quite a few girls on the United States team um, because they play here at the University of Minnesota. So it was just pretty nerve wracking to, you know, see them in that situation. And then when they won, it was, you know, seeing a good friend or whatnot win a gold medal was just something I'll never forget. And especially seeing them after the games back here, you know, it was like another celebration, big hug, like, you know, being able to see their medals up close and stuff like that is just very cool. Did you do the Paralympics as well? I did not. We okay. were we were offered or asked if we wanted to, but it was it was tough to get a pretty well a month off in the first place. Um, the school was more than willing to let me go over there. Um, they wanted me to go, but at the same time, I had quite a bit to do here and being over there a month anyways i was ready to get back to some some original food some american food yeah it's hard being away so long you want to be back it is we stayed in an awesome place so you know the living arrangements were great but it was just the whole i need to be home you know and see my dog and not eat rice every day (laughs) you didn't get to go to the village (laughs) mcdonald's Oh, I went there plenty of times. It was actually very good compared to the McDonald's in the United States. Really? What was different? I don't know. I'm guessing it was just the maybe the quality of the meat, I'm guessing. You know, just being over there, it probably wasn't shipped from the United States. And they had a very good service, and it was fast, and, you know, 
So it's just a much different fast food experience over there compared to here. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Adam. Oh, man, I learned so much about ice. He was so much fun. I, I hope that comes through. He was so generous and so fun. And who knew lead ice maker? I know. I know. Well, you know, I kind of wanted to ask him, like, does he go to conferences and stuff? Or, do, do you know, do you get a bunch of ice technicians in a room? And what are those sessions like? The drinks must be good. Because <laughs> they've got that ice all leveled off. and But it really takes a lot. And I was right. so interested in the difference between the hockey ice and the figure skating ice. Right. And and I know that just by watching speed skating, you can tell that the ice is different there. And I remember seeing all the ice technicians who had to go in and like fill in patches during mm -hmm. the during the the meets. So it is very interesting how different sports require different types of ice and what it takes and that you can specialize. Right. And I now I want to go back and like Alberville in 92 mm -hmm. was the figure skating competition where basically whoever stayed on their skates won. That was oh, one where just everybody right. was falling and falling and falling. And now I want to go talk to the ice people from there and see if the ice was the problem. Interesting. You have to wonder. You really do have to wonder what it's like. And, and maybe next time we talk with figure skaters or um, speed skaters or hockey players, like we can now speak a little more smartly about the ice. I know, because I sort of up. would casually say, how is the ice? Like, I had no idea what I was talking about. Right. But I would just sort of let them tell me what they thought. But now I can say, you know, was it soft enough for your edges? <laughs> so thank you, Adam, for making people believe that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, that was great. So I will, I will not look at a sheet of ice the same way again. No. All right, moving on to other Olympic news. The U.S. Olympic Committee has chosen Salt Lake City as a potential 2030 bid to host the Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. So now the, the deal is it's the potential bid city. It's not that the USOC is going to bid for 2030. It is that they they're going to think, think about, about it. it and they're going to work with the mayor of Salt Lake City and the, the team out there, and it's their intention to prepare for a possible bid. That so is this what... is like the USOC gave Salt Lake City a pre-engagement ring. Yes. Do you or remember maybe... those? Yes. That was a fad or... for a while. Yes. Because I was trying to think, maybe it was like the, the ID bracelet before you get the engagement ring, or the lavalier <laughs> necklace. Or like the letter jacket. Do they still right? do that anymore? I don't know. <laughs> I think they do. I'll have to ask my nephew. But I was listening to a little bit of a conference call that the USOC had about their um, executive meeting. And CEO Sarah Hirschland said, you know, there's no 2030 bid process open yet. The IOC hasn't said anything about what's going to happen for 2030. So they, it's one of those like, hey, we want to be ready and hey, we would like to bid and oh, we'd like it to be Salt Lake City, but okay. we don't know what's going on yet with the whole thing. So it's our intent to bid. It's our intent to bid with Salt Lake City, but we're going to see what the IOC comes up with. 
But well, she first also we said, gotta we gotta find somebody to host 2026 first. Exactly. That's that's the what the IOC is working on. So oh, once they get that done, I you you gotta wonder, will they refine their processes again and come up with a newer norm? That sounds frightening. That sounds like so consultant speak. <laughs> the newer norm. <laughs> Maybe we just need Bob instead of Norm or George, Frank. I don't know. But Sarah Hirschland at the USOC said that would give them what they get now is the luxury of time. So they get to have develop a solid plan. They get a collaborative approach. And they can put together a good bid. And it doesn't hurt that Salt Lake City still uses their venues. They host speed skating events. They've got a biathlon World Cup. So they keep them in good shape. And they do a lot of training, too. I can't believe how long ago Salt Lake City was. Doesn't it feel like it was it the last one? does feel like it. Well, it does feel like forever ago. I'm like, wasn't that just the one we had last winter? It's like, um, no, it was 16 years ago. Amazing. I know. It would be really cool if they could host again. Yeah, I, think I would it'd love be that. A, it'd be a nice choice. They did a really good job. They did. Under very odd circumstances because yes. that was the first big event right after 9-11. So yeah. the security was a bit crazy. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of unknowns. But, you know, it would be great. So we yeah. shall see what will happen there. Uh, moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu. That's right. We have a little tiny slice of tofu today. Devin Logan, our freestyle skier, took third place in the ski modified superpipe at the Dew Tour Breckenridge. That would be the mountain. Nice. Tour. Yeah, that was really cool. So she good got on job. the podium. Po- got on the podium. So good for her. Yeah. So she looks like she was having a good time. She always has a good time. She was great. She has such a good attitude. I just love. I loved talking to her. We should get her back on the show once her, when her season season's is up. over. Yeah. On that note, we will wrap it up for this week, and we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Next week is Christmas week, so we will be having another episode of Lightning Rounds, and we've got some really good ones planned up for you with some surprising Olympic tidbits and facts that you may not have heard before. So uh, look, be on the lookout for that next week. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at olymfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. And it takes a special person to be cold all the time.